Well, dear friends, if you were with us last Sunday, you will remember that we are thinking about one verse over the four Sundays of Advent. But it's such, such a cracker. It's a wonderful verse. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts, that we may, that he may give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder if there are things that I, over many years, have left out in my preaching. I'm sure there are millions of things that I've left out that I should have said. But you know, more and more and more, I want to talk about Jesus. I remember a a somewhat startling moment when I was, uh, just before I was ordained, when I was working in Birmingham, um, loosely, very loosely attached to Cars Lane Church Centre, when one of their ministers was preaching and someone burst in at the back of the church and shouted, Tell them about Jesus! And quick as a flash, he said, Do you know, I was just coming to that. (laughs) And I think to myself, actually, it's a wonderful, wonderful device. Tell them about Jesus, because he's the center, isn't he? The center and the soul of the Christian faith. And when we think about that verse, we can see something of the wonder that there is in his face, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, we were thinking about light last week. We were thinking about how Jesus said he is the light of the world, and whoever walks, uh, follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then we were thinking about how his light shines in our hearts and lights up all those things that... Uh, have accumulated, which need to be dealt with. And Advent is a very good time to do some of that clearing out spiritually. And then we were thinking about the moment when he returns in glory. And we were thinking also about that rather unsettling verse in Luke chapter 12, verse 2. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. In other words, there will be no more secrets. And thank God for that. So, light last week, knowledge this week. Knowledge, what is knowledge? What does knowledge mean? Well, if you're an aspiring London taxi driver, you have to know, you have to get round your head round, the knowledge. And it's got nothing to do with how to uh, drive a cab or how to uh, uh, execute U-turns in the middle of Oxford Street. It's about knowing every street, every nook and every cranny, every destination to which a fare might ask you to take them. The knowledge, you have to know it. Backwards, sideways, upwards, downwards, every which way. And unless you pass that test, you can't be a registered London hackney carriage cab driver. Knowledge. 
Is there a test for being a Christian? Well, in a sense, there is. And it's to know who Jesus really is. To know him. Some people think they know us, don't they? And then they reveal that they don't know as much as they think they know. I love the story about Clement Attlee's housemaster, who on his arrival at school met him. Unfortunately, this elderly gentleman seemed to suffer from spoonerisms. He didn't transpose letters, he just transposed words. So he greeted Attlee with the words, Ah, Attlee, I know you. I've got your father's drawers in my letter upstairs. Well, of course, that rather deflated his dignity and showed that he didn't know as much as he claimed to know. But do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Philip, we heard, didn't we, wanted to get to know God in a very real way, and that was a wonderful thing. But he'd missed something incredibly obvious. He said to Jesus, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, don't you know who I am? Here I am standing in front of you, the human embodiment of God. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? When we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you can see God in human form. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, who do you think Jesus is? A great religious teacher? Oh, he's that all right. A wonderful example to follow? Yes, he's that too. But you see, the problem with teachers is that sometimes we forget what they say and sometimes, be it said, what they say goes in one ear and out of the other. I'm afraid my classics master was like that in school. I feel very penitent when I think of the hours he sat beside me trying to teach me Latin and Greek And I suppose some of it is there. If I dig deep, deep, deep into my mind, some of it emerges, covers in dust and and, and cobwebs. But I'm afraid a great deal went in one ear and out of the other. We love our teachers, don't we? But teachers can't change us fundamentally. What about examples? Well, they can inspire us. But again, they can't change our behavior. We need a savior. We need someone who can get hold of our inner person and change that person. Indeed, we need to be new people. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. That's what he meant. You've got to be a new person. And Paul says the same, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation The old has gone, the new has come. Because there are certain things we can't do. Now, I toddle along to the gym most weeks. 
Suffering from a cold has advantages. My wife says very kindly, you can't go this week, you've got a cold. Well, anyway, usually I toddle along to the gym, and one of the exciting machines that you find there is the one that tells you your weight and height. My weight is a state secret, but my height, well, I used to be five foot six on a good day, five foot seven on an even better one. Now it tells me I'm five foot five. We're all shrinking, aren't we? What a shame. My sons, who are very, very rude, tell me that sometime in the future, very soon, I shall be taller if I lie horizontal on the ground. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't care. I don't care. Because there are distinct advantages about being short. I don't bang my head on door lintels. I don't have to wrap my knees around my ears when I'm driving the car, and I can sleep in anybody's bed. Well, you understand what I mean. <laughs> Yes, but there are things that I can't do. And when I go into the supermarket and try and retrieve things that are far too high, I have to get someone to help me. And it's all very embarrassing because there are things that I can't do. And you and I can't change human nature. But I know a man who can. Do you know him? That's the question. That's the real question everyone needs to answer. Oh, some people are very difficult to know. You can't predict them. Sometimes they greet you with a smile and sometimes with a frown. God is not unpredictable. He is totally predictable. I don't know what your idea of God is. I hope you don't imagine him as an old man in the sky or a disembodied spirit. As we've seen, our clearest picture of God is actually in the Lord Jesus himself. But the word that Jesus used is the word father. Think of the best father you can think of. For some people, father isn't a useful word because their fathers were not kind or generous they were violent and cruel. Martin Luther was like that. His father gave him no vision of God whatsoever. But think of the best father. Not the father who gives his children everything they want for Christmas because a good father will know how to say no as well as yes. Think of the father who is ready to warn and insist on the best. Think of the father who is ready to discipline his children because he's far more concerned with them knowing right from wrong than that they should like him all the time. Think of the father who, when his children turn from him, will never give up longing and searching and loving, who will go to any length and pay any price to bring them home again when he knows that they will turn to him in sincere repentance and faith. Think of that kind of father, and you've got a tiny, tiny glimpse of who God is. And it's that father who calls to us it's that father who offers himself and his love to us. And dear friends, if you've been a Christian a long, long time, don't think that this is just something you've heard before. Do you remember what Jesus said? 
Unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Maturing as a Christian means becoming more of a child every day. I dare say, when my grandchildren come along uh, and stay with us at Christmas time, they'll um, get to know me better. I hope they will. Uh, when my youngest grandson met me um, more than just glancingly, uh, when they came to stay with us a few months ago, I had more to deal with him than I had before. I was on Jimmy duty. I had to lift him and change him and dress him. And it was wonderful to see the look of absolute consternation and perplexity with which he regarded me. It was a sort of dreadful look of, who on earth is this? We're becoming a Christian. And in a sense, yes, we are a Christian from the moment we look at the cross in repentance and faith. That is the moment when we become a Christian. But becoming a Christian more and more and more every day is about learning to be a child, learning to trust. Learning to leave the future with him. Learning to say, no questions, only amens. Oh, dear friends, I know that there are people in this congregation, there are people whom you love, there are members of your family who will find that so, so difficult to say. But the testimony of faith is that the more you trust him, the more faith you will receive. The more you reach out to him, you will, the more you will feel him reaching out to you. If with your whole heart you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. This morning, we had the privilege of baptizing a baby. And it is a privilege, a wonderful privilege, because it reminds me, personally, of my own baptism. And of course, I knew nothing about that. I was about six weeks old. It took place in a little church called All Saints in a village in Essex. But I look back to that day, that moment, with inexpressible gratitude, because it means that for 63 years, I have been surrounded by love and faith and care and truth and nurture and guidance and wisdom and grace. And grace is something you can never earn, something that you could never deserve, something which is poured out upon you by a loving God. Are you ready to receive that grace? Oh, you may have given your heart to Christ many, many years ago. But there is so much more grace that you need to receive that he has to give. In Advent, we prepare for the coming of Christ. I believe you know that the moment of judgment will be that moment when we stand before him and we realize just how much we have not allowed him to love us, just how much grace we have not received, just how much we haven't trusted him, 
just how much we have carried our own burdens instead of giving them to him. He will return. He's promised to return. He doesn't break his promises. His promise is to give himself to all who repent, who turn to him in faith. You don't have to wait to the moment of his return. You can do that here and now. Amen.